Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. Awesome. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, so this week I've been working on that same machine. Haven't worked on it in a while. So the same machine is the semi-automatic inspection machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was putting together the upper carriage, basically the uh, Y-axis for the machine, mm-hmm. and ran into an issue. What's that? I was tapping with a uh, tapping with an M5 by 0.8, which is the thread count. Mm-hmm. Um, tapping in, it was basically a combo drill tap that came with all the open beam stuff. Yeah, broke. Let me guess, it broke inside. Yeah, it broke inside the extrusion. Yep. Uh, and it broke just the thread part off, like <laughs> a quarter inch down into it. Yeah, that's gonna be fun to get out. <laughs> Oh, that that sucks. Yeah, so I have a, a left-hand bit coming in soon. That's a 4.2 millimeters, I think, which is the... Basically, I'm just going to... And drill it out. <laughs> That's the exact noise. <laughs> no, it's going to... I'm probably going to use the, uh, the hand drill to do that. Yeah. Because I don't think... And you were just drilling aluminum, right? Yeah, just aluminum. In 6061 the... or something like that? Yeah, 6061 aluminum. Uh no, you have got you've got a big floor stander uh, drill press at your shop, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually probably use that to drill it out. Yeah, because um, my drill press is, and actually the one at, at Macrofab too are not tall enough for that piece of extrusion. That way, I can just stand it straight up and just plunge it out. Yeah, yeah. I got the the full size guy. Wait, no. Does that go in back? Does your drill press go in reverse? Uh, ju- you just turn the power cable backwards, right? <laughs> doesn't work on AC. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, I really haven't had a need for going. I don't think it backwards. does go. No, it won't go in reverse. Uh, we can try flipping the belt and to a figure eight. Uh, yeah, as long as the belt doesn't rub on itself and destroy it while you're going. Yeah, we'll have to figure that out. If anything, it would just be the portable drill again. Yeah. but it'd be Does, nice you, does your drill press at home go backwards? No. Yeah. I have flipped the belt in figure eight though to make it go backwards. Okay, but uh, it's a it's an inexpensive Hitachi, so like little desktop one. Yeah, yeah. Not like a big. I think yours is a big Delta. Moving on, off topic into machining land. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, I built a uh, this week. I built a uh, a man in the middle board for our uh, Altera USB blaster, mm-hmm. and basically you plug the Altera USB blaster into it. And then you plug the tag connect connector on the other side. And so you can program boards okay. while powering up the board over the tag connect. Oh, that's and convenient. So, yeah, so it sends 3.3 volts down the tag connect. And so when you're uh, basically for production, you only have one cable to worry about now. You yeah. just plug it in and hit go on your computer and bam, it all works. That's that's really convenient. I've, actually, uh, just last week I was actually working with uh, an ST-Link version 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it runs on three three. Uh, it the documentation says that it can power from one of the pins, but it's not recommended. And I think it's not recommended because it can only source something like ten milliamps. Yeah, it's not. So a lot. I had to have this. You know, I had to go from our bench with the power supply over to the board, and then from the board to my computer with USB. And it's just it was just a mess. So so having having a programmer that can spit out some juice is. Super convenient. Yeah, and actually, I made a a uh, repository on our uh, 
macrofab github account for fixtures like this mm -hmm. and so as i i'm going to design one for the msp430 uh programming i'm going to design one for isp all this stuff where you can send power down a tag connect connector mm -hmm. uh and power boards with one one guy cool yeah and so i'm, I'm gonna they'll go they're gonna be all open source and stuff like that so people can use them and that kind of stuff it's it's one of those things where you think someone would have already designed something like this but usually they just build like a breadboard hack thing Not sort of like what i did yeah it's kind of like what you did with the st link yeah <laughs> but uh yeah so we'll see how that works when it comes in in a mm, week and a half now yeah cool yeah, should be cool and then uh the jig of destiny i don't know if i ever talk about that on the podcast i think we mentioned it before but yeah i think well we recap. did two weeks ago is that it's basically a uh, fixture that can may have aluminum that can hold a 16 by 16 panel without it bowing through reflow and blah 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 and we just we just got the prototype in for yeah it. we got the second prototype in you're right second yeah it's the first prototype that's milled out of aluminum not pieced together with extrusion mm -hmm. but uh i put together all the pieces look like they fit fit really well i'm just waiting on a uh a couple 256 uh number two 56 taps um to come in from mcmaster and so i can thread those a couple holes out and mount those guys in super tiny yeah i i actually ordered a couple extra taps because i ordered these the day i them. broke that tap <laughs> <laughs> broke the tap on the same uh never hurts to have more yeah and the uh, the cool thing is these aluminum pieces I had machined out at this uh, another startup mm -hmm. called uh, Parts Hyphen Badger, and they're up in Wisconsin, and they do uh, fairly inexpensive machining for you know makers and that kind of stuff. Uh, but they also did uh, uh, Stephen's phone ring. <laughs> <laughs> um, they they do anodizing, and it was like four dollars to do anodizing, and I was like. Yeah, I'll do anodizing for four dollars. I was I was expecting to just get machine aluminum, bare aluminum back. Well, they they have a kind of a fairly unique uh, system themselves where you can upload your design files directly. My phone just vibrated too. Sorry guys, <laughs> <laughs> we both fail. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. So so the parts badger you can you can upload a DXF or or DWG I should say. I believe yes, uh, directly, um, and and then get quotes right on the spot. So it's less of having to draw engineering drawings and dimension everything. You can just kind of send them a three D model, and they'll give you a quote on it. Yeah, and you you basically pick how many operations your device or your your object has. So like, uh, an operations in in machining terms is like how many times do you need to flip the thing over. To machine different sides yeah. on a three-axis machine, and so like a, most of the stuff we're doing is only one side. Right. Is every all the plunges are on one side and all the cutouts are on one side. Mm -hmm. Well, they go up to six six-sided and they will do contouring and all that kind of stuff too. Yeah, I'm sure uh, that really jacks the price up. Yeah, I haven't looked though, but it was fairly inexpensive. I think it was for a 16 by 16 piece of aluminum that was three sixteenth thick. It was like hundred dollars with anodizing. That's really cheap. Yeah, I think you know, the other quotes I was getting was like seven hundred. Hmm. So it was a seven x difference, and it was, you know, it wasn't 
like absolutely perfect, but everything was in the right tolerance. The holes were in the right spot. The cutouts in the right spot, and the finish was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very pleased. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Especially for the cost. Yeah, for the cost. Um, and then I started researching uh, a couple of projects that we've had up on the board. If we can use this, uh, the Octavo uh, chip, the uh, OSD three three five eight um, chip that right, Greg from, was talking about on the last podcast. On the last podcast. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't actually settled on a project yet to do it because me and Steven come from a like low power embedded background. <laughs> At least I do. I, uh, Steven's more analog. Mm. Um, and so we don't really like when we design our projects, we kind of gear them towards low end microcontrollers. Yeah. Or or more analog stuff, and so having like that much horsepower, it's like, what can we do? With that much yeah, 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 you kind of have to think about it. Yeah, it's hard for us to do because you know, we we write we usually write to bare metal. You know, you write to registers. Yep. And so it's kind of like, oh, we can actually write a Perl slash Python script uh, to make this stuff work, so you don't actually have to worry about that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it, it's a different beast when you don't have to uh, when you have. Basically we don't have to endless count cycles. capability. Yeah, when you don't have to count, yeah, you don't have to worry about that. You you know, you could write a class into your your code and not have to worry about how much RAM it takes up. Yep, because you have a, you know, 512 megabytes. Yeah. Megabytes. Yeah. Of yeah. RAM, not not like 32k bits. <laughs> or like with the macro watch where you're squeezing you going getting down to the point where you're measuring clock cycles on on the scope just to make sure everything's right like you don't have to worry about that stuff with no. You don't have to these single board computers. But yeah, a- any any hints on what you're thinking about doing? Uh, not yet. Okay. Um, I probably think by next week I'll have something, a good project we'll, to start we'll re- on it. Reveal something cool. Yeah, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> if, if not, it'd just be lame. But I'll reveal it anyways. <laughs> another computer. Yeah, another computer. Another in-your-pocket computer. For only 30 bucks. Yeah, actually, you were talking... <laughs> speaking of that, you were talking earlier this week about how, like, the basically the price for all these, like, development kits and uh, computers that single, you know, fit on a single board. Yeah. They all talk about driving the price down. Yeah. And it's to the point where $5 gets your computer now. Yeah. You can't drive, you cannot, well, maybe someone will surprise me, but you can't drive that price down anymore. Someone will tomorrow be like, $4 computer. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Well, but, but, okay, so I think, I think the main thing is when you look at it, the, the difference between $5, $15, $30, it really isn't much. So I see a lot of, or have seen a lot of crowdsourcing things and, and, and open source projects and stuff where it's like, we're the first person to make a, seven dollar widget computer and it's like that you know that was really cool a couple years ago now there's so many of them where it's like give me features show me like what's super cool about your thing because to me the difference between five dollars ten dollars fifteen dollars it's not a huge difference yeah we need a five dollar widget yeah that has a one gigahertz processor a gig of ram wi-fi a keyboard and a monitor for five bucks. For five dollars. For five bucks. There you go. I, yeah, I'd buy that. Yeah, I'd buy that for a dollar. 
Five dollars. <laughs> uh, Crazy. Yep. Well, cool. Um, this week I've actually been working on uh, the FX dev board a bit. I've been uh, getting with the crowd supply guys to get things kind of set up and uh, moving forward. So I got all my documentation to them, and they're doing a review right now. It's probably the most well-documented project I've ever gotten. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a whole tech doc about everything. And they're like, we just need pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be thorough. Oh, that's very good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we still got still got to get the enclosures in. The, uh, the quotes, we got them done by a machine shop that I really like here in Houston. I've worked with them in the past, and they're just awesome dudes. And... I was a little bit scared because I had a budget for the enclosure and I sent off my 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 uh, my drawings. I was like, gosh, I hope it comes in. And the price they gave me just shatters the budget in terms of being way cheaper than I thought it was going to be. Yep. So so I'm, I'm excited about that and uh, got a couple little mods I want to do to it just to make it a little bit more fancy because now I have a little bit more money to play with. <laughs> you got to fill that budget out because you yeah. want to get it back. Yeah, yeah, you never get it back. That's the rule. It's like the end of the quarter. Spend all the rest of your money. <laughs> and uh, we actually, we uh, you actually did this last week, but we had Greg on. Mm-hmm. Um, you did a lot more experimentation with these new tubes. Yep. And those are the, uh, the basically the dip style tubes that we've been, t- you know, raving about by Korg. Yeah, yeah, the Korg new tubes. So, so I've been getting acquainted with them and trying to figure out their inner workings. And uh, you know they're 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 cool and they're they have some some unique features. Uh, they are they're fun, and I'm I'm working on a project right now to make a a uh, an all tube uh, stereo hi-fi amplifier with them. Um, I'll be actually posting up some information on the GitHub soon about that. Uh, got the schematic and and everything done and got some concept drawings. The thing I found about the tubes is they just don't really have a lot of grunt. Uh, they're pretty weak. Um, so why are they weak? The uh, has a lot to do with the internal construction and the fact that their their filament is driven so lightly. It it runs on 0.7 volts at uh, 17 milliamps, which just doesn't isn't really emitting a lot of yeah. electrons. That's kind of like a uh, BJT at that point. It is, and and it it also brings up some curious. Um, concepts on how do you supply 0.7 volts to it because finding a 0.7 volt regulator is not really easy yeah uh the solution that korg has come up with is literally just an rc just a resistor and a, and a big cap because uh. the, the current that the things pull is is constant or yeah. i mean fairly constant across the lifespan of the I w- device i wonder so. if you could use like a 0.7 volt reference you know, I, I had thought of actually using two diodes in series with a um, transistor, okay, yeah, such that, such yeah, that work. it would drop down to 0. 0.7 volts. But I'm not sure what I'm going to go with yet. Yeah. Re- regardless, the what I what in doing my calculations, so I'm using a, an EL34 power tube, and with the screen voltage and the plate voltage I'm going for to drive up to maximum output, it's about a 20 volt peak to peak signal. What's convenient is one of these tubes, which has two sections in it, the gain of each section will get me right to 20 volts peak-to-peak with a standard audio input of 0.4 volts. That's cool. So 
it stripped down the design. And actually what we were talking about the other week with that uh, high impedance constant current source, I don't even need to use it anymore. I can just use a resistor. <laughs> so <laughs> I was going to get all fancy with it, and I was like, I don't really need to do that anymore. That was with the uh, those fancy FETs, too. Yeah. The depletion mode FETs. Depletion mode, right. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, yeah, you'll be seeing more on that. Yeah, I'm actually kind of looking forward to finally listen to this thing. Yeah. Um, we, we, we've been using their their dev board that we've got from them uh, to listen through basically some headphones. They do sound good. Yeah. Um, and they can pump out some volume just by themselves. Just a little secret. They're kind of cheating on that. They have an op-amp driver right on the output, so ah. the tubes aren't driving the headphones directly. Um Regardless, soon we will have an amp, and I'm actually, at the moment, building some uh, speakers to go along with it. Uh, are those speakers from, like, Parts Express? I believe that's where the kit comes the from. Yeah, come yeah, from? yeah, yeah. They're called Tritrix. Okay. Uh, Tritrix. Uh, they're transmission line speakers. Uh, fairly fairly budget, but uh, they have good reviews, so we'll cool. see how that comes out. So, also, uh, this week, been working on uh, getting back on the SSPS we kind of had a bout of lots of customer stuff uh, that took me away from the SSPS, but I'm getting back on that now because we want to get moving forward because Parker got his front panel moving forward and I'm all sitting here like, Oh, I need to get yeah. some stuff done. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, the front panel test board should be done next week. Yeah. And that's going to be excited to actually program up. I've actually been working a little bit on the software side so that when it comes in, I just load it up and hopefully everything works the first try, which it never does. Never. Um, usually you have to flip some bits somewhere and, you know, you miss some register you have to hit. Right. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. So what have you been working on for that? Well, the the main Energon cube that we talked about a handful of podcasts ago, uh, the PCB that goes along with the Energon cube, which is our main capacitor stack that includes all the regulating uh, power supplies and the output op amps. Yep. Uh, so I've got the majority of the schematic done for that. I'm still figuring out a few small details about it, uh, but hopefully copper will be going down tomorrow. Yeah, and uh, you're working on the simulation for it too this week. Yeah, so I had this... I got kind of analogy on it and, and started just having fun by putting a bunch of op amps in and calculating all my gains and doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, and I had done that a few weeks ago, and I revisited uh, the project this week, looked at it, and realized that I just made a huge stupid mistake. Or I shouldn't say stupid. It worked, but, so it's not a mistake. No, yeah, no, it totally worked. But I realized that I could take out two or three, I can't remember how many it was, full op-amp circuits out, out, and compress it all down into one. Uh, and I was like, oh, why didn't I do that from the get-go? <laughs> <laughs> well, does it work just as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I, it's not like you lost any fidelity or anything like that? Actually, I mean, I think it'll work better because it uses fewer parts, so we'll have fewer offset, few, uh, less drift, less issues with tolerance. And what's cool is now the analog drive circuit, I think I it has like five six resistors, something like that, and only two different values uh, in there. So we can um, we can better control our gains. Uh, and I also yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I moved some of the gain around because previously I had the, the output op amps set up as just buffers. Now they're, they have gain on them. Neat. <laughs> I knew that was going to creep in sometime. 
That's from our last podcast. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, cool. And then uh, we we start working on Josh's uh, space echo. Yep. Uh, we uh, I think it was on Wednesday. We basically flipped it over, took it apart, started designing stuff, buying caps. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bought a handful of caps. Found some interesting issues. It was. Uh, and we we're getting a flood warning here. <laughs> it is absolutely pouring, or has been for the past couple days. Yeah. Uh, Houston's been hammered in the last two months. Two months, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, on the on the space echo, we we found a, an interesting issue. When it was upright, the device would not turn on. We flip it upside down, it does turn on. Then we flip it right side up again, and it turns on again. Yeah. So it make any sense? It seems kind of conditional. The device, I think it's. Uh, I think the serial number goes back to 1977. So uh, we're going to do the whole resolder everything. Yeah, suck all the solder out, put new solder in. Yeah. We'll probably put some nice Kester 6040 Oh, lead. some big, thick lead solder. Yeah, with there. rosin flux, and uh, we're going to recap the whole shebang. Yep. Yeah, we got. I got a list of every electrolytic in there. And and uh, speaking of those caps. Yeah. <laughs> so you got some Nikikons. Yep. Which are really good, but you got audio-grade ones, right? I decided to eat you know, eat the crap that they, they sell just because this is Josh is a buddy of mine. And this is like audio gear. I decided to go for the whole audio grade capacitor. <laughs> we, we, the, so Nichicon has, they say, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Nichicon, their, their audio grade capacitor. It comes wrapped in gold. Yeah. Gold foil, gold foil. Well, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of like copper yellow color, but it, yeah. but, it, but it has that whole mystique look to it. Um, Especially with it's a really dark black uh, silk screening on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just. I mean, it looks like it sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and and in script written on the side, it says fine gold. Yeah, it looks like someone drew it out with a with a a fine inkwell pen. <laughs> <laughs> they signed each one individually by the maker of that cap. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and uh, I went to the website, and there's a description up there. It's uh, that this is a direct quote. It is certainly the best choice on electrolytic capacitors for top end devices. Yeah, like the space echo we're putting it into. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Audiophile crap. Yeah. Um, it's. I think. I. I think we could just put whatever caps in there, but you know. These audio grade caps are only slightly more expensive. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what are you going to do? Well, okay. And let me let me defend something here. Uh, so, I, I I was buying all these from Mauser. When I go for electrolytic caps and I'm looking for their application, whatever they, they, they do in the circuit, for most of these, they're just power filter caps. I I went and filtered everything down by the size, by the blah, 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 the, everything and made sure their ripple current and their ESR was low because that actually makes a difference in this kind of circuit. Correct. And those audio grade capacitors were what popped up. Yeah. So okay. it's like, okay, fine. We'll get those. It's yeah. kind of funny. Too. Very low ESR, very low ripple current. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, the caps I really like, and since we're going off the whole, like, what it looks like, mm -hmm. um, the uh, Nikikon, this Nikikon cap, mm -hmm. they're uh, UBW series. Okay. Because they're baby blue. With like an eggshell finish on, on it, 
I like I pulled them out of the package. I was using them for my prop fan board. The designer caps. Um yeah, the designer caps. And I, I like pulled them out. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. It's not all like it doesn't feel like electronics at that point. It's like a really nice matte finish on them. Mm. Uh I don't know. I thought it was interesting that they would actually coat their caps in a a uh I guess it's like a heat shrink kind of that plastic. Yeah. That's actually they chose something else besides the typical shiny plastic that you will and, and the the baby blue ones have have a texture to them. Yeah, so yeah, it's got a, a interesting matte texture. Yeah. You can actually feel it. Yeah. Um, so so if if you really want to check out something cool uh and and have some fun, go check out Mundorf caps. That's M U N D O R F. Uh just go check out their website. It's it's fun for an engineer to see what they have to offer and their caps. <laughs> Talk about the highest end. That comes with the highest end price what was, tag. What was that website you were talking about where it was comparing caps and how they sound? Oh, I found that just through a Google uh, search. I don't remember what the actual site we'll was. We'll have to peel through your, your uh, My search history. history. Yeah. Hopefully I don't find anything weird. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, uh, it, he had different categories. This person was listening to all these different caps. Yeah. And he had different qualities for all these caps. Right. And I think one was like... Well, okay, and, and 90% of these qualities are things that are entirely subjective yes. and cannot be quantified yeah. by any specific means. It's just a guy sitting here in his in living room, basically, listening yeah. to these caps. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember the one that stuck out to me. It was, something, it was the... Uh, was it spatial definition? Spatial definition... Spread and spread, yeah. <laughs> and there was one other one I can't remember, but I just I we'll, we'll find the link and post it in the in the show notes. But it was just ridiculous. Like it's like you can't measure any of these things. No, no, you can't. And 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 so one thing that that a lot of people I think get wrong is it's not necessarily if you do hear something with these capacitors, most of the time it, it's not something that is actually. The capacitor is not doing it. The capacitor is affecting other things in the circuit that they themselves are doing it. Yes. Uh, that's uh, like if you take a cap with a really low ESR and replace it with a cap with a really high ESR, I'm talking like magnitudes of, of orders above that, yes, you will notice a difference. You will absolutely notice a difference. But that's not necessarily the cap physically changing the sound. That's the cap screwing up the rest of the circuit. I'd really like it. These, these people, uh, these, these audio five people. Yeah. They would, they could do their subjective stuff, but then actually just have the audio signal in overlaid with the audio signal out Mm -hmm. and see how it actually affects it on a waveform standpoint. So you can say, Oh yeah, that cap does this to the waveform. So you actually have measurements. Yes. Uh, you probably have to have more than that, like transient responses. Yeah, transient responses, Yeah, th- yes. things like that. But yes, yes. And there, there, I'm sure there's plenty of people who have done things of that sort. Yeah. Uh, something more... Quant- the best thing about that site is he has these really fancy graphs that don't have units. <laughs> and they have like a nice grid and stuff, and it's just like a scatter plot of all these points. And, and, and it, shows, it shows some caps are higher on the graph and some are lower. lower. It's like... Yeah. And it's like... On one axis, it says good, bad. <laughs> is, is what the range is. <laughs> but then the other range is like, doesn't have anything. 
<laughs> Sometimes it's fun to just go and cruise these websites. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So the RFO section. Yep. We have but five opinions. We only we got two this week. Cool. Um, technically we had three because we were talking about those caps, but you know whatever. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, Asus. I think this article is actually recent today. They came out with this really cool robot. At least I think it's cool. Called the Zenbo. Z Z E N B O. Zenbo. Zenbo. And it looks like if you took a tablet and stuck it to a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> okay. Um, it's basically a ball. It's kind of like a vacuum cleaner type shape, so it's a little oblong a little bit. Yeah. And it's got a little tiny stick with a tablet that it's apparently that's its face. Okay. And you can touch it and... Is it, it like like a BB-8 kind of thing? A little bit. Okay. It reminds me a lot of those uh, FaceTime robots that are on Segways. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Reminds me a lot of that. Uh, the cool thing is, this is supposed to be like a personal assistant style robot where it follows you around the house and allows you to control your house through the robot, through voice commands, touching the screen. Um, your calls come through it, and so you just talk to the robot when you're talking to someone, which is a little weird, but... Yeah, that's... You know, I think with enough time you would get over that. Sure. <laughs> um, apparently you can show emotion, so it's kind of like one of those robotic pets. Wait, you show it emotion or it shows it, you? It shows emotions. Oh, okay. Yeah, um... So it, it like those robotic like dogs and stuff that you can buy at at, at Toys R Us. Yeah. Um, I think the coolest thing about this was the price tag. It was only it's only six hundred dollars. Huh. Which is kind of expensive when you think about it. But not but really. But it's not really because everyone carries six hundred dollar devices in their pocket every day. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's what this looks like. I am actually surprised they hit that price point. The fact that it's got a huge tablet for a face plus all this mechanical stuff in its in its body yeah um it's really cool apparently it's supposed to entertain kids and that kind of stuff too okay um so if you want your kids to leave you alone you just go robot play with the kids <laughs> yeah entertain kids <laughs> entertain kids zenbo entertain kids beep <laughs> I was waiting for what no, you were going to do. I knew you were going to wait for I was like, oh, I don't know what he's going to do here. <laughs> I really wish you could see the hand motions I just did, too. <laughs> Think Robbie the Robot. Yeah. From, uh, or not Robbie. What's the, what's the one from um, Lost in Space, like, way back? You know, Danger, Will Robinson, Danger. That's not Robbie. No, it's not. But it flailed its arms around. It had, like, the dryer tube arm things, you know. I don't know. I'm getting off track now. <laughs> I don't remember. Josh, do you know? Oh, Josh is outside. Never mind. He would probably know. Yeah, he would probably know. We'll, we'll, we'll convene with him. Johnny Five? That's no, jo movie, Johnny though. Five is from uh, Short Circuit. Yeah, it's a different movie, though. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, well, you say... Dr huh? I don't... I've actually never seen that movie. Lost in Space was a, was a television show okay. way back in the day. I haven't day. seen that. I'm not that old. Yeah, but it's classic. Come on, Danger Will Robinson. Danger, you, I'm going to I'm gonna have to put that on my... my yeah, it's on must, Netflix. Must watch. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Josh, the, the, the robot from uh, Lost in Space. Do you remember the name of that robot? He's cringing. 
You know Danger Will Robinson. I've now said that three times. <laughs> His name is... I don't have it. Okay. What is it? We, we don't know. No, we don't know. We're trying to figure... And well, usually we you're the one that sets us right. Well, there's, there's this awesome... He's thing. actually going... He's going to Google it right now. <laughs> this is super important. Yeah. We're pausing. Pausing. Well, I'm going to pull that $600 uh, device out of my pocket that Parker was talking about. <laughs> I can also Google it. Who will win? The giant tablet-like computer on the recording equipment or the $600 computer phone? <laughs> That's Stephen Susan. Oh, our listeners love this. <laughs> B9. B9. B9, that's it? Man, I thought I had a... That's why we don't remember. That's, we, that's, that's a lame name. That name is terrible. Yeah. Okay. I thought it had. I thought it had a human name that they gave to it. Huh. Okay. We need to find a GIF of it flailing its arms around. Yeah, we'll find and, one. And or we'll make one. Yeah. 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 We can do yeah. that. All right. And uh, the second one is Radio Shack is returning. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> um, they got a new CEO earlier. Last month, since it's the first, uh, so it was in May, they got a new CEO. Yeah. And his name is Dean Rogers. Cool. Yeah. Guy worked at Target and some other places that don't really matter. Um, <laughs> uh, so apparently they, they had, I, it was really interesting seeing how many stores they actually closed this last year and a half. Over 2,000 stores. Yeah. Uh, so they have a little bit over 2,000, a little under 2,000 left. I think it's like 1,800, 1,700, something like that. But they're refocusing all the stores for being for makers and that kind of stuff and bringing back uh, computer electronics and that kind of stuff. So it sounds like they're trying to make miniature micro centers. Huh. Because micro center... Uh, we actually have one here in Houston, and it's awesome. Um, it's that's probably one of my favorite stores, brick brick and mortar stores that still exists. It's kind of it's kind of like a smaller version of Fry's. Yeah, and but they have more variety of things. Yeah, or more variety of electronic things. Right. right Whereas right. Fry's Electronics has like half the stores filled with like beds and appliances. <laughs> yeah. Kind of weird. And they have a bunch of random toys all over the place. That's the coolest part about Fry's Electronics. Yeah. Though. It's yeah. all the random, like, cheap Chinese toys you can buy. <laughs> yeah, that you've never seen before. Yeah, never seen before. Like, you RC know, stuff. I actually have a... Uh, I, I got really lucky with the uh, uh, Radio Shack closure. Um, so when Radio Shack was closing, my buddy and I, we went to the nearest Radio Shack to us, walked in there and was like, how much can we give you for all of your electronics? Everything, 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 and the yeah, guy, you, you know the, you know the, they, they had those pull-out drawers yeah, yeah. and all that stuff, um, and it was full, absolutely everything. Uh, the lady behind the counter goes, I don't know, why don't you give me twenty-five bucks? <laughs> he gave awesome. him twenty-five bucks and walked out of the store with three black trash bags filled with electronic parts. I wish you should ask if you can buy the drawers. Oh, that would have been cool. Well, okay, so on, on top of that, the counter, yeah. That they the display counter and the counter that they have for where they check you out. We asked how much of those were, and we bought those too. So, <laughs> you just bought the whole store for twenty five bucks. For twenty five bucks, I, I think I can't remember. We bought we bought all the all the counters for like a hundred and fifty, 
and then uh, and and still to this day all of the drawers in those counters are just filled with Radio Shack bags. And and if I need a switch or if I need an LED or something like that, I, I and I and I don't have it in my stock of parts that I already have, I just go digging through the doors and drawers and it's it's there. It's there. Yeah. That's awesome. That was a pretty good So I like that part of my, of Radio Shack. This <laughs> Yeah, so they're they're, they're regearing their their stores. Yeah. Um and there's some suggestions on like the Hackaday article about it and what they should do. Um, what I personally would like to see is kind of like a will, will like when you're in college and you had a will call, uh, like desk where you can request parts and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see that kind of setup where you can order parts on their website and then go pick it up. And so you skip the shipping part from like all the distributors. Hmm. But instead of doing like them carrying like a bazillion different kind of 1K SMD resistors, they carry one brand. Kind of like we do at Magnafab for our house parts. Yeah. We have a MF 0805 10K resistor. Right. Um, they're Panasonics. So they can use whatever brand it is, but you just go and go, hey, I need a 10K 0805, a strip of 10, or whatever. I yeah. need one. So you buy like a strip of 10. And you can just order it on the Radio Shack website, and then you show up to the store, and it's sitting there on the counter ready for you to pick up. That's what I want, is Mm. them to carry jelly bean resistors, caps, some dev boards, maybe some microcontroller parts. Basically, a stripped-down version of a distributor, but they only carry one brand of everything. Yeah. That would be nice to see. So in case you need X part, you can go down the store and get it. You know what that actually reminds me of? Uh, you probably had a really similar um, experience, but the parts counter in your engineering lab at college where you just walked up and said, I need these resistors and these caps, and they just kind of threw them at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just, like, like to pull, pull them out out of the, or like, if you need, like, I need a 2N3904. Yeah. And they're like, they pull the bin out and go, find it. <laughs> it's just a bin full of jelly bean transistors. <laughs> or, or we used to go get resistors for our labs and, and the legs oh, no. were yeah. bent to complete hell Yeah, because they had been used by 500 kids, no, engineers the, the, before. And you get like the really big wire round ones yeah. and you're like, how long has this cap been in here? <laughs> or this uh, resistor? It's like, right. uh, since the 70s. Like right, part. but here's the thing: your professor's <laughs> asking you to make precision circuits with it. Yeah, with this old crappy stuff. Like oh, plus man. minus twenty percent on the resistance. Yeah. Well, okay, so you know, Radio Shack. Uh, oh at, uh, no, no! When you when you were at uh, back when yeah. you're at uh, when you're in college, did your breadboards that you got from the roll call desk actually work? Oh God! Uh, there things. was there was. Many strips within the breadboard that did not yeah. work. It, like you would put it in the, yeah. the the your your wire jumper in, and it feels like it went in right. Yeah, but that's just because the plastic had a close fit on it, <laughs> whereas the metal underneath was so bent out of shape. Yeah, and so you would like you'd get a nice waveform, you know, for your analog circuit, and then you go to your TA, mm-hmm. uh, the sh- you know, because the TA's got to check it off, and you turn around and there's no waveform. <laughs> Scope and they're like I didn't touch anything. It was working, and then and the TA's like ah, zero. <laughs> Actually, you know it's interesting. I had a breadboard once in one of my labs that was such garbage 
that I physically couldn't make the circuit I was required to make on it because the parasitics were so high that it swamped out what the circuit was actually supposed to do. I literally had to go get a whole brand new breadboard and restart the whole lab. Oh. Well, I learned um, my junior year, I went and bought, I went to Fry's Electronics because yeah. we didn't have a micro center in, in Austin. And I went to Fry's and bought a breadboard. And that's the last breadboard ever. I actually still have that breadboard. Yep. <laughs> I did everything on it. Um, and after that, you built a you built something and it worked. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't it wasn't hammered upon by thousands of other students. Yes. Um, I bet you that breadboard I used my first two years is still there. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Still rocking and rolling. Barely. Still. Causing students hours and hours and hours of grief. Oh, yeah. Oh, we had bad uh, BNC connectors for our scopes, too. Oh, man, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, because you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And you think it's your circuit. No, it's the cable. <laughs> yeah. You always check your cables with a multimeter first. Oh, yeah. We had, at the back of our lab, we had an RLC tester. It was actually a pretty nice one. It was like an Agilent or something like that. Um, but we had a lab where we were doing uh, tank circuits. Okay. Um, RLC kind of tank circuits and nobody's was working. Nobody could get anything working. Um, and eventually we found out that the actual connection box to the RLC tester, that was bad. So everyone was measuring <laughs> wrong caps and wrong inductors. And <laughs> that wasn't, that was a lab that was supposed to be like two hours and ended up being like six. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Fun times. Yeah. School labs. I'm so glad we have decent equipment now. Yeah. <laughs> All our equipment works. I did find that our used frequency generator at Macrofab does have... It's not perfect. It needs to be calibrated. Yeah, I think we have to calibrate it. Though, it's like, does our Owen scope, which is not a very good scope either. It's perfect for us, but it's not like... Highly recommend. It's not even a wriggle style <laughs> um, scope. Um, you don't. We don't know how close that is. You should bring in one of your. Do you have anything calibrated at your shop? I have a uh, DC voltage standard uh, that goes zero to ten volts, down to twenty bits. Whoo! Um, and it last I uh, I tested it in October, and. One or two of the bits was out of spec. Huh. I wonder if we can see how close the Owen is. I think yeah. the Owen only goes down to two digits on that. Yeah. No, it can do three sig figs in millivolts. Yeah, I can. Well, my, my, my voltage standard was uh, about 50 microvolts out. So I don't even think our scope can measure 50 microvolts. No, I don't think it can. Yeah, let's give it a shot. See how close that Owen... I was hoping you would have a calibrated frequency generator. Uh, um, I have a really killer uh, HP um, synthesizer. Um, and that guy is killer. Let's bring that in. That thing is is yeah. uh, good. I'll bring it into work. Yeah, and we'll, we'll compare it to our $80 80s era frequency generator that we got. Well, we purchased that, and that's the exact same one I have in my shop. Yeah. Um, it works really well. It's just that when you plug it into the scope, you only you're like 0 0.01, you know, hertz off. <laughs> yeah, and its its sine wave is a little sharp at the peak. 
Yeah, it needs to be calibrated. It 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 has um. We can recap it with some audio gray caps made by <laughs> Nikki Khan, and they're gold. It'll sound amazing. It'll sound amazing. <laughs> uh, Have you ever put a frequency generator into an amp? No. It sounds terrible. <laughs> it says one harmonic. <laughs> one harmonic. It does not sound good. I wouldn't imagine so. Yeah. But with those caps, whoo. Yeah. Nice golden sound. Fine gold. Fine gold sound in script. <laughs> Uh, do you have anything else to add? <laughs> uh, no, I think that was we we went way off on a tangent there, but yeah, well, but that's good. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Was um, fun. we're looking at getting a uh, another guest at the end of this month. Yep. Um, and I think that's going to probably wrap up the uh, the guest guests for this month. We'll have two guests this month. Um, and I have no idea where I was going with that. So we're having a guest at the end of the month. End of this month. So it'll be... This Cup. is episode 18. 19, so episode 20 will have a guest, right? Sure. Yes, that sounds right. Or 21. Something Look like forward that. to Whatever. it. Whatever. Yeah, in the future. Ooh. <laughs> uh, well, this has been the MacroFab Engineering Podcast. We have been your hosts, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. Catch on this time, guys. Take it easy. <laughs>